Taiwan's impressive performance at the Olympics continues. For the first time ever, Taiwan has won medals in badminton, boxing, golf, gymnastics, and judo. Also, we talk about the effect the COVID-19 outbreak has had on people's waistlines. Later on, Stash Butler goes out to eat on the first day indoor dining restrictions were eased in Greater Taipei. Finally, in today's Hashtag Taiwan, I'm going to tell you how a simple image became a symbol of Taiwanese Olympic history. This is Taiwan Insider. It's been so exciting watching Taiwan win so many medals at the Tokyo Olympics. We've won 11 medals, which is more than twice as much than ever before. Now, this week I spoke with a sports scientist to ask him, why are we doing so well in the Olympics? Professor Ho Wei Hua at Taipei University tells me what he thinks and also shows me how he's using AI to help train weightlifters like Guo Xingchun win the gold. Taiwan is rocking at the Tokyo Olympics, with Guo Xingchun breaking three Olympic records and Team Taiwan athletes winning more medals than ever before. Why is Team Taiwan doing so well? Well, Professor He Weihua, the head of the Sports Intelligence Lab at the University of Taipei, has some ideas. He says it's the dedication of the athletes and coaches, and the government has poured more resources into its sports programs. In recent years, Taiwan's athletes have also gained more experience competing on the world stage. Another element of Taiwan's success is its advanced technology. That's where Professor He comes in. He uses AI to train Taiwan's weightlifters. This weightlifting tracking sensor locks onto the barbell and tracks Guo Xingchun's moves. That way, she can adjust and perfect her form so that she can go on to win the gold at the Tokyo Olympics. Mind you, Guo didn't only win the gold, she set three Olympic records in the process. The lab also uses AI to create shock and sound absorbing mats for Guo and other weightlifters so they don't damage their hearing during practice. And don't tell anyone, it's even been used to gather intelligence on Guo's rivals, like this North Korean weightlifter who made a rare public appearance at the 2019 World Weightlifting Championships. By using AI to track the height and speed of her movements, we could devise a strategy to beat her at the Olympics. Now, Taiwan isn't the only country using AI to win its medals. Professor He said AI was one of the weapons that China used against Taiwan's badminton star Dai Ziying. Sports scientists think that Dai Ziying's loss in the badminton finals was due to China's effective use of intelligence. The Chinese coaches had complete mastery over Dai's shots, including her fake moves and aces that should have enabled her to win. Everyone, China, Japan, South Korea, even the U.S., the U.K., and Australia is using AI to gather intelligence on their rivals. He said that Taiwan has used AI most widely in weightlifting because the moves are simpler to track than other sports. And Taiwan has 10 Olympic medals in weightlifting to show for it. Taiwan's AI technology is quite sophisticated, and with its recent success at the Olympics, who thinks it won't be long before other sports start using AI as a key training tool as well.
Now, weightlifting is Taiwan's strongest sport. We have 10 Olympic medals in weightlifting. In Taekwondo, we have nine Olympic medals. Now, what's also very exciting at the Tokyo Olympics is that we've medaled in five new sports. Li Yang and Wang Qiling won Taiwan's first medal in badminton. And they are also the first Olympic duo ever to go from unseated to gold in men's badminton doubles. And they cause a bit of a stir because they beat the Chinese who don't look too happy here. Now the two went to school together, but they didn't start playing together until 2019. So the extra year was actually very good for them. And on Wednesday, they got a hero's welcome home as four Mirage 2000 jet fighters escorted them home. Now, 25-year-old Li Zikai is the first to medal in gymnastics. He won a silver in the men's pommel horse. His earlier claim to fame in Taiwan was when he was nine years old and featured in the documentary Jump Boys. And he was also well-known at his neighborhood market, where he would do stunts to attract customers to his parents' vegetable stand. That's how he got the nickname Market Kai. Now, the first athlete to win a medal in judo at the Olympics is Yang Youwei. The 23-year-old has become a bit of a heartthrob. After he won, instantly he got over 200,000 new fans and followers on Instagram, with some of the women saying they want to marry him. Now we also have Taiwan's very first boxer to win an Olympic medal. 23-year-old Huang Xiaowen is 176 centimeters tall. She slimmed down to under 51 kilograms to compete in the flyweight class. In junior high, her dream was to become a basketball player, but there were no spots on the team. Her coach encouraged her to try boxing, which turned out pretty well for her, I would say. <laughs> Here she is crying. It was her first time competing at the Olympics. She cried after the quarterfinals and the semifinals, and of her many tattoos, one of them is of Taiwan. Now, 29-year-old C.T. Pan is Taiwan's first golfer to win an Olympic medal. He is also the first Asian man to win an Olympic medal in golf. Here he is with his lovely wife, Michelle. He got around the no family rule at the Tokyo Olympics by having her be his caddy. So those are all the Olympians who medaled in a new sport for Taiwan. We're all so proud of them. And a lot of us here have Olympic fever. But I think we do need to take it easy because it could be hazardous to our health. Family members of Taiwan's Olympic athletes sit watching the big screen, wildly celebrating every point scored and medal won. And it's not just them getting caught up in the moment. One woman says she felt physically sick watching the games. Another says it was so tense her head hurt. And the list of symptoms doesn't stop there. Dr. Lin Weiwen of Taiwan Adventist Hospital says clinics have seen a rise in patients complaining of high blood pressure, chest pain, and an irregular heartbeat. He says that's because people who watch the Olympics are feeling the effects of adrenaline in their bodies. Lin says that generally speaking, when we're feeling tense or excited, our bodies produce adrenaline. That stimulates the heart, making it beat faster and raising your blood pressure. Lin says for most people, that's nothing to worry about. Just take a quick break and you should be fine. Berlin says if you have a history of heart problems, you should be more careful. He says if you feel suddenly unwell or get tightness or pain in your chest, you should immediately take a break. If that doesn't help, Lin says you should see a doctor as soon as possible. Team Taiwan's stellar performance has got the whole country cheering. And that's an activity best enjoyed at home with friends, not from a hospital bed. 
Up next, Leslie Lau tells you more about how people are faring as Taiwan opens up. The pandemic has people feeling a little down and a little cooped up. Whether it's work from home measures or just trying to stay out of the coronavirus's way, people just aren't being that active. Then you got the snack factor. A little bit of a chocolate chip cookie there, a little potato chip there. What's the harm? Well, doctors are saying that, you know what, it's adding to people's waistlines. And the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, not helping either. For over a year, Taiwan withstood COVID-19. But finally, a few months ago, an outbreak forced it into a sort of semi-lockdown. People haven't exactly been confined to their homes, but gyms were shuttered, and many companies had employees start working from home just to be safe. The result? Weeks of inactivity. One new survey shows that 37% of Taiwan's workers report having gained weight over the past few months. Whereas only 16.5% of respondents reported not exercising at all before the semi-lockdown began, just short of 30% said that they aren't doing any exercise now. This doesn't translate into a loss of interest in physical activity, although it seems that these days Taiwan's workers would much rather watch someone else doing the exercise. The same survey found that Taiwan's workers are hooked on the ongoing Tokyo Olympics. A full 80% of respondents say they're tuning in, with 63.5% even saying they've stayed up late to watch competitions, only to feel miserable at work the next day. Meanwhile, 34.9% admit that they've been late finishing assignments because of watching the Olympics, and 18.1% even admit to having taken days off to watch the games. Now, let's step away from the Tokyo Olympics for a moment and focus on Taipei and New Taipei City, which have rolled back restrictions on indoor dining. However, this rollback comes with strict measures to make sure that the pandemic doesn't get any worse. A waitress brings food for a customer eating in at a restaurant. That hasn't been allowed for more than two months due to COVID-19. But now restaurants, food courts, traditional markets and night markets are welcoming back dine-in customers. One customer says she is pleased that COVID cases have gone down in Taiwan and now she can dine in. Another customer says she called ahead and came in straight from work. She says she's not worried about the virus because she's following government rules. Certain restrictions still remain in place, though. Tables have partitions to keep distance between diners. Customers have to put on masks as soon as they leave their tables. You're not allowed to walk around while you eat at traditional markets and night markets. Only restaurant staff can serve food at all-you-can-eat buffet venues in Taipei. At other restaurants, customers can only order individual meal sets instead of sharing dishes. New Taipei has even banned karaoke parties at restaurants. If a customer or an employee is confirmed with COVID-19, restaurants have to close for three days. After they reopen, they are only allowed to offer takeout for the following 11 days. New Taipei government can ban all indoor dining if COVID cases rise. Authorities are especially concerned about the Delta variant and cluster infections. New Taipei is reminding restaurants that anyone who breaks COVID-19 restrictions will face a fine of 110 U.S. dollars to 540 U.S. dollars. Taiwan insider Stash Butler on Tuesday went out to experience indoor dining in the time of COVID-19, and he has the story for you here. Oh, Stash, you little risk taker. I headed out to the Shinkong Mitsukoshi department store in Taipei's busy Shinyi district for my first dine-in meal in months. It's looking quite empty. really empty actually and the restaurant was no different wow a room full of empty seats 
There is literally no one here. Of course, this means we had a lot of options for where to sit. Staff tell me that they had almost no bookings for dinner today and only a few for lunch. Well, uh, this is a little strange, uh, I have to admit. Uh, we're sitting opposite each other through a glass screen so, uh, so that we don't infect each other. Um, although there's no one else here and we came in together. My burger arrives and I dig in. You're allowed to take your mask off to eat, naturally. I know a messy then it's time for a Taco Bell-style crunchy wrap and a soba noodle salad. We wanted to share, so the staff split the dishes before they arrived at the table. Finally, pancakes. Can you tell I was hungry? Well, that's that. We finished our meal. No one else has come to join us, so I guess that tells us that Taiwan isn't quite ready to go back to the dining room. Next up, Leslie Liao explains why the internet has gone wild over Taiwan's badminton stars in Hashtag Taiwan. Have a look at this picture. Doesn't look like much, does it? It actually just looks like a couple of white stripes against a green background with a little dark spot in the middle of one of those stripes. Simple as it may seem, the image has become a symbol of one of the most iconic moments in Taiwanese Olympic history. Last Saturday, Taiwanese badminton duo Li Yang and Wang Qiling made history when they won Taiwan's very first medal in badminton ever. And to put icing on the cake, they won gold. Li and Wang's journey wasn't an easy one. They didn't even start playing together until 2019. They lost their very first matchup in the Olympics to India. They weren't exactly favored, even though they were ranked third in the world at the time. However, heads turned when Lee and Wong defeated the number one and number two teams on their way to the finals. Their rise through the competition made headlines, and when they finally made it to the finals, it was against Li Junhui and Liu Yuchen of China. I already told you they won the gold medal, so you know how that turned out. But the amazing thing was, the Chinese team contested the very last shot of the match, so Li and Wang couldn't celebrate their victory right away. However, the challenge gave us this image, which confirmed that the last shot of the game landed inbounds, handing Li and Wang their very first gold medal. And that is how this symbol of Taiwanese victory came to be. So popular was the image that people suggested turning it into flags, t-shirts, and even a very creative credit card from Taiwan Land Bank, Li and Wang sponsors. Taiwanese model Melody had a mock-up of what a t-shirt of the image would look like mere hours after Li and Wang's final match. People also noticed that the white lines formed a T-shape and wrote in A-I-W-A-N to spell Taiwan with the shadow of the shuttlecock dotting the I. People here sure are creative. In other badminton news, the world number one badminton women's singles player Dai Ying of Taiwan earned herself a silver medal. On her way to the final match, she played a particularly nail-biting match against her Thai rival Ratchanok Intanon. Now, I watched the game and it nearly killed me. There was one particularly insane rally which ended with both Dai and Intanon on the floor. I'd show you that moment if I could, but you know copyrights and stuff. However, the image of both Dai and Intanon splayed out on the floor was so iconic that several artists captured the moment in cartoon form. 
Dai ultimately beat out Intanon, and an emotional Intanon couldn't help but cry immediately following the match. Taiwanese people, myself included, recognized that Intanon played a great match, and at times it seemed like she really had Dai on the ropes. So after the match, several Taiwanese internet users flocked to Intanon's social media accounts to say she played a great game and that she shouldn't be too hard on herself. And after China's Chen Yufei upset Dai in the finals, India's PV Sindhu took it upon herself to comfort Dai. Dai Ziying in a Facebook post said Sindhu sought out Dai after the final match and told her she performed very well and that today just wasn't Dai's day. The story only gets more touching after you realize Sindhu lost to Dai in the semifinals. Taiwan is having its best Olympic performance ever in Tokyo and it's making for a lot of great and memorable moments. And if there's one thing you can count on Taiwan for, it's to immortalize these moments with creativity, humor, and kindness. And before we leave you, here's a look at some of the other news stories that are on our radar. Taiwanese forces are preparing for a routine live fire drill on Pratis Island in September. This island in the South China Sea is administered by Taiwan, but is one of many islands in the region claimed by China. Reports indicate that the military will use the exercise to test Taiwan-made Kestrel anti-armor rockets. Poland is considering donating excess COVID-19 vaccine doses to Taiwan. That's in recognition of a donation of medical masks Taiwan made to Poland during shortages last year. Poland would become the sixth country to pledge COVID vaccine doses for Taiwan, following Japan, the U.S., Lithuania, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. The Central Weather Bureau issued a sea warning for Tropical Storm Lupit Wednesday. The storm is moving northward up the Taiwan Strait, scraping over the South China coast and bringing rain and rough weather to Taiwan as it goes. And Taiwan was awakened with a sharp jolt in the early hours of Thursday morning. That's after a magnitude 6.1 earthquake struck off the island's northeast coast. The earthquake was followed by three immediate aftershocks and more aftershocks of magnitude 4 to 5 are possible over the next two weeks. Fortunately, no damage or injuries have been reported. Hey guys, we're all back in the studio. It feels so good to be back in the studio. Yeah, I know, it's great. I mean, it's definitely it's a different kind of ball game when you're back in here. It's been I two know. months, man, for it's me at least. It's been time. too long, too long. And we got our masks on to stay safe. We're trying to match our clothes there, right? Yeah, that's right. A little starry <laughs> night action going on. I think Stash's mask is a little more... I it's quite like it. To mine, it's, cool. it's, it's very arty. Although yours like is very arty as well. It has fish way. on it yeah. for lucky and abundance. <laughs> So um, our final question of the day is one word to describe Team Taiwan. Let's start with Leslie. Oh, one word because I went with three. Oh, <laughs> this is what I want to describe them. Leslie. This is, this is what I want to say to Team Taiwan. That's fine. And uh, it's please sign <laughs> this because what? They're rock stars, man. They're doing amazing, and you don't want That's their autograph. True. I want their autograph. How about you, Stan? Uh, my word is is a word to describe them is legendary. Oh. I mean, that I think, you know, true. obviously the Olympics aren't even over yet, right? That's right. But I don't think it's too early to say that this, you know, Olympics team is going to go down in history as kind of legends of Taiwan. They are legendary. I mean, there's so many medals every week. There are tons of medals that we're winning. It's, it's totally amazing. I think Taiwan <laughs> is so awesome. Every one of you are amazing and inspiring to me. It makes me feel like anything's possible, right? Yeah, that's right. So thanks so much for tuning in to Taiwan Insider. I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Stash Butler. 
And be sure to follow us on social media. That's right. You can like our Facebook page, subscribe to us on YouTube. Or maybe tweet at us. Our handle is Taiwan Insider. Anyway, guys, until next week, see you around. Go Team Taiwan! Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So. President Taiwan and her ruling Democratic Progressive Party has seen a drop in support in the past few months. There have been 15% less support for the Democratic Progressive Party, and this could largely be due to the vaccine shortage during a major outbreak here in Taiwan. Now today I speak with political scientist Arthur Ding of National Zhengzhou University to talk about the political impact and elements of this vaccine shortage and also of a recent deal by private entities. Foxconn founder Terry Guo and TSMC and Suchi Foundation recently bought 15 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine through its Shanghai distributor called Fosan Pharma. Now, the Taiwan government had originally tried to buy the same vaccines through the German company BioNTech, but they said China got involved and obstructed that deal. So today I talked with Professor Ding about the political fallout of the vaccine situation in Taiwan. Beginning back in May, President Tsai Ing-wen began promoting Taiwan's locally produced vaccines. And these are interesting type of vaccine. They're protein subunit vaccines, similar to those made by Novavax. At the time, they had only been in phase two trials and people were wondering why she was promoting them so early. As of now, they've completed phase two trials and have received emergency use authorization by the government and actually are an option for those who want to get vaccinated in Taiwan. I asked Professor Ding if her promotion of these domestic vaccines hurt her politically. Taiwan has been strong for the so-called processing and the manufacture, but uh, we don't have capability for you know, very original, uh, innovative R&D mm -hmm. because it takes tremendous time and uh, resources. So uh, this can partially explain why the Taiwan two indigenous vaccine producer were not. Uh, I don't think they are going to produce their own uh, vaccines, and this is why I can also can explain why people has not confidence those two vaccines. Do you think it hurt her too? This her promoting them too early? Oh, oh definitely, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. This also hurt her, yeah, because it wasn't based on science. They hadn't even finished trials. Yeah, I don't know why she promote uh, so Pushoha. Uh, I don't know if she is fully uh, briefing or not. But I think he uh, he's so eager to uh, promote actually hurt his uh, popularity. What about the U you know the U.S. and Japan coming in, donating a lot of vaccines when Taiwan was you know having a, a major shortage and a public outcry? What do you th think that did? I think the uh, 
the donation by Japan and later by the United States really uh, helped mm-hmm. uh, Tsai administration and the DPP government. Uh, in one way, at least, when people in Taiwan in desperate situation, you know, need to have uh, vaccines, and the Tsai administration really cannot answer these kind of uh, questions, then the donation by Japan and the United States really, you know, at least partially you know, help her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think bear her out of this kind of a desperate situation, I would say. Mm. So uh, this also, you know, points to her very, seems very good relations with the United States, but also very tense relations with China. Um, what do you think about her balance between the U.S. and China? Do you think that people, I mean, I, I know that Taiwan is happy to have very close relations closer and closer relations with the U.S., but we also have very tense relations with China. Do you think people are uneasy about that now because, you know, the war planes are coming and there's just there's no official talks? Do you think that the public is, is getting more uneasy about how tense relations with China are? Yeah, uh, when you make uh, analysis about Taiwan politics, you probably need to start from the divided uh, uh, reality. So, um the Blue Camps frequently criticize President Tsai's policy, but on the other hand, I think that the Blue Camps maybe they updated, I would say, their observation of China. Hmm. Because many Blue Friends say that if we return to the 92 consensus, we can deal with Beijing, but I don't think so. Look at the, what happened in in 2013, so-called M503 fly route, you know, uh, it's a fly route uh, between Hong Kong and Shanghai. Xi Jinping uh, uh, rolled out this uh, M503 fly route. It originally is quite close to the so-called middle virtue line in the Taiwan Strait. You know, it's quite a sensitive fly route because in the virtue, almost you know, overlap with the virtue middle line mm-hmm. in the Taiwan Strait. So, you now this is quite a sensitive fly route. But my interpretation is that Xi Jinping don't care about whatever you go in down. He does not care about my enjoy at all. I want to do whatever I see fit. Hmm. You know, you know what I mean, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't uh, consult with my enjoy administration uh, mm-hmm. beforehand. So no, this is the Xi Jinping era, 2013. Second is that the before President had come to office, actually the PLA Air Force started to so-called so-called encircle Taiwan under my administration. So, you know, that's why I'm saying the blue camps have the, quite the illusion, I would say. They think, now, if they return to the 92 consensus, then mm. they can deal with China. Mm. They were wrong, because Xi Jinping is such a different leader. Mm-hmm. He does not care whatever you think. He thinks he's China's uh, number two power. I'm a big power, you are small actors. You should adapt to my need. <laughs> But what about people in Taiwan? Do you think that they they want a, a government that maybe can have more peaceful relations with China? Oh, sure. I, I don't, nobody wants to have a I war. Mean, yeah. yeah I everyone, mean, every, every, even green, you, talk, you talk with green people, they say, oh, we want to have peace with China. But peace under what kind of condition? That is mm-hmm. the question, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think the public sentiment towards China is now in Taiwan? Uh, yeah, I would say quite, uh, quite negative mm-hmm. global-wide these days, except those so-called, uh, so-called developing countries. Look at the uh, survey made by Pew uh, Research uh, Institute, yeah. Almost all the Western countries from the Northern Europe to the Southern Europe, 
and Japan and South Korea, their impression toward China is extremely negative. Yeah, it's all on the website. And what about Taiwan? Yeah. Yeah, Taiwan is also uh, negative. Mm-hmm. But because we are kind of a, a divided society, so certain group of people have good uh, positive, <laughs> you know. But generally, negative mm-hmm. are more than uh, positive. That is political scientist Arthur Ding of National Zunzi University. We'll continue to talk about how the nuances of the New Deal between private entities and a Shanghainese distributor for 15 million Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines has affected people's perceptions of China. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I'm Natalie So. I'm talking with political scientist Arthur Ding about how the vaccine shortage and how a recent vaccine deal between private entities and a Shanghainese distributor for 15 million BioNTech vaccines have affected people's perceptions of China and politics in Taiwan in general. Now, that recent deal was spearheaded by Foxconn founder Terry Guo, who was also a candidate for the opposition Kuomintang in the last presidential primary. So his initiative and generosity in solving one of Taiwan's biggest problems, its vaccine shortage, is also a sensitive political issue. Now, that deal was made through a Shanghainese distributor, And I asked Professor Ding if he thinks that people have a more positive perception of China as a result. Uh, Probably not much. I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, you know, again, (laughs) this is a divided society. Mm. Those blue people say, oh, come on, you know, Beijing did not uh, intervene. But my my view is that Beijing did intervene, but very sophisticated way, very subtle, sophisticated way. Because, you know, uh, for instance, it's a so-called SOE. Yeah, and also Beijing probably don't like, but they have to accept. <laughs> because if Beijing continue to pressure them, there will tremendous strong backfire from Taiwan. So, so in this contract, I think I read that Taiwan region was used, right? Taiwan Dichu. Yeah, this. Yeah, they say Taiwan Dichu. Yeah. And this was acceptable to both sides. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about the first time when Taiwan? They said they tried to negotiate with uh, BNT. So, do you think um, the DPB was was too too stubborn about this? I mean, if they if they were willing to change the language, then we could have bought the vaccines a long time ago. Yeah, I think the China administration also made a compromise. In my my own sense, and also Beijing knows that they also had to make some kind of compromise. So that's why Taiwan DG for character. Mm. It's acceptable for the both sides. I see. Interesting. Okay. Well, what, what do you think about vaccine diplomacy in general? How how is Taiwan and China using this on on whether in Taiwan or on the world stage? Yeah, definitely. Beijing want to take advantage because Beijing has not done well, you know, at the beginning when the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Beijing tried to improve their so-called reputation. So actually, a uh, vaccine is not uh, is is kind of a, a tool, you know, diplomatic tool. But for Taiwan, because we don't have, uh, we cannot produce vaccines at this stage. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we can do a good job in this uh, aspect. 
There was an issue with the only thing we can do is that you know because we're still in the so-called third stage, stage right. three experimentation. So that's why uh, we cannot uh, launch so-called vaccine diplomacy. On the other hand. Uh, uh, how effective our vaccine is, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so that's right. we probably cannot have so-called vaccine diplomacy, frankly speaking. How do you think China has been trying to work to undermine Tsai's government throughout this period, you know, when there's a shortage of vaccines and people are upset at her? Do you think, what has China been doing? Oh, uh, they're really working hard demonize Chinese administration mm-hmm. to criticize Chinese administration. On the other hand, say how we we Beijing deal with our people. No, Beijing really working hard, and uh, that's why also hurt the Chinese administration. Yeah. So you think that some of their campaigns were effective? Yeah, somewhat uh, effective to convince uh, many of the blue people how the so-called the, the motherland deal with the, uh, the people and the motherland will help you, but uh, it is Thai administration who reject motherland's help. Uh, <laughs> um, so do you think that China has gained ground in Taiwan politically throughout this process, let's put it that way, throughout this? Yeah, somewhat they gained something, I would say, yeah. Do you think that this deal also helped China as well, China's image in Taiwan? Uh... I don't know. I don't know to what extent they help, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. everybody knows that the uh, at the beginning Beijing tried to, uh, tried to intervene. And, right. uh, so I don't know, uh, well, this contract with deal between Fosun and uh, TSMC, uh, Foxun really help Beijing or not. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't think so, probably. You don't think yeah. so? Yeah. Okay. That was political scientist Arthur Ding of National Tunzi University giving us his thoughts about the vaccine shortage in Taiwan and the political impact of a recent deal between private entities and a Shanghainese distributor to import 15 million vaccine doses of the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. For all your science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with the download. Welcome to the download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Stash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. Today, I speak to Sahana Shankar, a PhD student in molecular biology at Academia Sinica, Taiwan's premier research institute. She tells me how her particular field laid the foundations for COVID mRNA vaccines and why Taiwan has such a good research environment. 
All that coming up on the download. Okay, I am Sahana. I am hopefully a final year graduate student at uh, Institute of Molecular Biology in Academia Sinica. Uh, so we work on um, the structure function relationship of a lot of proteins that are involved in cell cycle. So, you know, the process where one cell becomes two and two becomes four, that's at the base of all life, right? So there are a lot of multi-protein complexes that are involved in, in the process. So we study one of them, like how do they work? What are the other partners that they interact with and what happens when they don't work? So my uh, lab uh, works on different complexes of the cell cycle. So uh, it's called mitosis and meiosis. So we, I work on one very specific part, which builds the microtubules. So microtubules are like, um, if you think of the cell as a city, the microtubules are the roads, you know, the highways and the shorter walkways and all of those. And imagine like you would in a, Harry Potter, Hogwarts, that these are being made dynamically, that they're being built when they're needed and they're being broken down when they're not. So I study this protein complex, which makes and breaks these microtubule networks. So uh, there are other uh, people in the lab who work on other parts, like how is uh, material transported across the cell from one component to the other. And uh, there are various other proteins that we study. And you hope to have this project done by next year, is that right? Um, there's no uh, specific deadline when it comes to uh, a PhD because uh, each program has like very different uh, criteria for graduating. So in my program, it is that you have to publish your work in a peer-reviewed journal. So my manuscript is ready and uh, it's going to be under review soon. So the sooner we get the story out and everybody says, um, okay, this work looks fine. Maybe you need to add some uh, bit to it, make it a little bit stronger, whatever. And then uh, I'll be ready to defend, yeah. And uh, how does this work? I mean, I mean, forgive me, but you know, it all sounds amazing, but how does this work fit into everyday life? I mean, does it, does it have implications for, for medicine or anything like that? Right now, we're, what we are studying is very basic, like we, really trying to understand how the cell functions. But um, whatever we learn is very, very helpful to create um, medicines or any applications in uh, healthcare down the road. Like for example, the COVID vaccines that you're seeing today, the mRNA vaccines have been in the works for about 30 years now, but all of that did not come from people wanting to create an RNA vaccine. It has come from very basic biology of understanding how the RNA works, what is uh, a stable RNA, uh, how do you uh, you know splice RNA and put its parts together, all of those. So um, that's how basic biology works. So, and also another uh, part is cell biology and cell division in uh, particular is very, very important to understand if you want to understand cancer because dysregulation of cell cycle is what uh, essentially causes a lot of cancer. So if you can identify certain proteins which you can control and then thereby stop uh, uncontrolled cell division, it could be a potential cancer therapy. So that's why you need to understand all these parts list and hopefully going uh, further down somewhere they could be therapeutic targets. And do you have any plans for your, your next step after this project is done or is this going to be a kind of continuing thing? Uh, currently, 
I do have a project that I want to continue with, like uh, staying to the project that I'm working on. I want to carry it forward. Uh, this is a very basic study that, as I mentioned, so I want to um, take it to a cell line, like human cells, and see how this works there and maybe to an organism level, maybe like a mouse model or something. That would be the gradual progression of things. Uh, but I don't know how much of it I'll be doing myself. Uh, I'll probably move on to a postdoc um, and want to probably try something new. So what was it that brought you to Taiwan originally? Um, typically, I just followed my husband. <laughs> uh, we were in Scotland for a while. Um, so my husband works for a German company and he was um, sent here to look after the Asia business. And uh, I was thinking, what should I do? Like, should I apply for an industry position? Um, because I had already finished my master's in Canada and the industry here in Taiwan would probably require basic Mandarin skills, which I did not have at the time. So I thought maybe getting into grad school would be an easier way to get into the system. And also uh, the Taiwanese research uh, um, landscape is quite competitive, especially in biomedical sciences. So I looked up a few um, programs and the kind of work they were doing felt really, really interesting. So I was like, yeah, maybe this is a possibility and it worked. Well, I guess that brings me on to my next question, which was, what does Taiwan do well in your field and what are the things it could improve on? I don't think if I know it to a level where I can really compare it, but what I can talk about is the research infrastructure here is really, really good. Like I have now friends who have moved on to, you know, Harvard and Oxford, and uh, they sometimes tell me that the research environment that they have here is something that I should, you know, hold really close to my heart that when I move, uh, it might not be something that I'd be getting. Um, so that way the foundation is really, really strong. So if you, uh, if you want to pursue something in science, in research, the, the basics are already there. It's just for you to come in and do your project and just put your mind to it. I think the biotech industry itself in Taiwan is pretty nascent because there are not a lot of big pharma companies. And even if they have a presence here, it's mostly sales and marketing and stuff like that. They do not have a lot of um, research or I think it's mostly in the CDMO space like contract uh, research. Uh, so uh, you would not find a lot of products that are coming out of Taiwan, but I think it's changing gradually. But research-wise, I think Taiwan is quite competitive. And I think in the last five years, since I have been here, I think there have been huge uh, changes, like um, the focus on um, precision medicine, the focus on uh, cloud-based computing and that um, applied to healthcare, uh, which I think is a huge advantage because of their national health insurance. So they do have a lot of information on cloud and they're able to leverage it, especially in terms of the pandemic where they were able to do the contract tracing and you know identify risk populations uh, quite um, earlier than other people would be. So there are definite strengths of doing biomedical research in Taiwan. I guess I have one question, which is that Taiwan's government is putting a lot of emphasis on English as a key skill for sort of promoting the country's economic strengths uh, and, and research, you know, is often done in English. So how do you think, well, I mean, what's the state of the English speaking environment for research? And I mean, do you think that Taiwan has the skills in that in that respect? Um, inside of Academia Seneca, I think 
uh, they're doing extremely well because everybody speaks English and I think it kind of spoils us for the rest of the nation because we really don't need to speak um, Mandarin inside of our campus. I mean, it's always good to learn. They do make an effort to help us, um, you know, integrate with the society, but you really don't need to learn Mandarin. So that's really um, not a problem when it comes to research. Uh, in Seneca, but sometimes it might be a little bit of an issue where uh, students are not very confident in speaking uh, English. So you you'd really have to draw them out of their comfort zone. And it's not like they do not know their science. They absolutely know what they're doing, but they're just not very confident in communicating. That was Sahana Shankar from Academia Seneca telling me Taiwan's strengths and weaknesses when it comes to biotech research. And that's all we have time for this week. Next week, Sahana tells me how she decided to create her own podcast to get scientists talking to each other about their work. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on The Download. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. This week I spoke with a sports scientist to ask him, why are we doing so well in the Olympics? Professor Ho Wei Hua at Taipei University tells me what he thinks and also shows me how he's using AI to help train weightlifters like Guo Xingchun win the gold. Taiwan is rocking at the Tokyo Olympics with Guo Xingchun breaking three Olympic records and Team Taiwan athletes winning more medals than ever before. Why is Team Taiwan doing so well? Well, Professor He Wei Hua, the head of the Sports Intelligence Lab at the University of Taipei, has some ideas. He says it's a dedication of the athletes and coaches, and the government has poured more resources into its sports programs. In recent years, Taiwan's athletes have also gained more experience competing on the world stage. Another element of Taiwan's success is its advanced technology. That's where Professor He comes in. He uses AI to train Taiwan's weightlifters. This weightlifting tracking sensor locks onto the barbell and tracks Guo Xingchun's moves. That way, she can adjust and perfect her form so that she can go on to win the gold at the Tokyo Olympics. Mind you, Guo didn't only win the gold, she set three Olympic records in the process. The lab also uses AI to create shock and sound absorbing mats for Guo and other weightlifters so they don't damage their hearing during practice. And don't tell anyone, it's even been used to gather intelligence on Guo's rivals, like this North Korean weightlifter who made a rare public appearance at the 2019 World Weightlifting Championships. By using AI to track the height and speed of her movements, we could devise a strategy to beat her at the Olympics. Now, Taiwan isn't the only country using AI to win its medals. Professor He said AI was one of the weapons that China used against Taiwan's badminton star Dai Ziying. 
Sports scientists think that Dai Ziying's loss in the badminton finals was due to China's effective use of intelligence. The Chinese coaches had complete mastery over Dai's shots, including her fake moves and aces that should have enabled her to win. Everyone, China, Japan, South Korea, even the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, is using AI to gather intelligence on their rivals. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.